Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, hello. Welcome. This is Better Make It Quick, uh, the quick version of Better Than Yesterday. I'm Washi Ginsberg. Thanks for being a part of the show. Better Than Yesterday is a podcast that's been here since 2013 and just hopes to help you make today better than yesterday. Something that you hear in every show will do just that. And um, there's plenty of shows to choose from. And on Wednesdays, we like to take a look back at some of those shows. And hopefully, if you like what you hear, you'll go back and listen to the whole conversation. We're going to take you back to 2015, to a very noisy cafe that no longer exists uh, on Oxford Street in Sydney uh, with Peter Garrett, the iconic, iconic lead singer of Midnight Oil. We were at a Max Brenner's cafe. I don't know if they still exist, but that's where we were. It was a bit noisy, but that was the only place I could talk to him, and so that's where we spoke. So this is the sound of me and Peter Garrett in a, in a cafe having a chat. Background noise or not, Peter Garrett is an inspiring and prolific human being. Of course, he's the charismatic and undeniable frontman of Midnight Oil. He is also a very powerful activist, environmentalist. Uh, he previously waded into politics and was a federal politician. Peter has led the way in fighting for the environment since he's been in the public eye. Midnight Oil absolutely changed Australian music. They made protest songs accessible and beloved by the mainstream. Protest songs you could sing to and dance to. I asked Peter that you know when Midnight Oil formed, if they had a combined vision for, I guess, what they wanted the world to be like. Well, my first band in Canberra was basically students knocking about. Yeah. And, and I mean, I learnt my ropes by playing to bored public servants on a Friday night who'd had too much to drink and really just wanted to hear, you know, Long Way to the Top yeah. uh, by ACDC or whatever that was kind of big rock song of the time was. Like five sets of covers, that kind of thing? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I've done it all. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's, that's 20 like, minute breaks. That's like CrossFit for bands. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. And we actually went to playing young. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play the old pub? Uh, no, we played oh, up the road. Oh, but, right. And, and we played at anyone and we'd play anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, Roadhouse Blues, The Doors, The Stones, yeah. whatever. Even Deep Purple, you know. Yeah, right. And hacking it out. And, I mean, it was hacking it out. But I loved it. And I could see that people eventually, once we sort of figured out how to pull it together a little bit, could do it. But it really wasn't until I came back up to Sydney to visit my mum and answered that in a paper, of all things, for a singer wanted just to do a surf tour on the coast, east coast of Australia for like a month that I met Midnight Oil. So Rob Hurst, Jim Magini and Andrew James, the first bass player, were kind of just hanging, young guys just out of school uh, in this little hall and I walked in and I thought, oh, they were a bit, I, I felt a bit cooler than them and then they started to play and I went, well, maybe I could sing with them anyway. <laughs> Didn't sound bad. But, but, you, um, but you, you obviously, you know, in between the songs you had a chat about life and about how you viewed the world. I mean, you're not, like, like we said before, you know, if there are a bunch of, you know, uh, guys who are in a particular way of looking at the world. Um, nowadays, it would be if I turn up to a band rehearsal and some guy's like, no, 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 screw the refugees, send them all home. I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm an immigrant, it. so yeah. I'll be leaving. Yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, it wasn't quite like that to begin with, Osha, because I think we just had to try and figure out how to play and make music together. Uh-huh. And how do you fit the bits and pieces together, especially with people who are very different? Like we all didn't love, you know, The Clash or The Stones or Springsteen or whoever. Taste was very different. And as individuals, we were quite different as well. I mean, everyone had a social conscious and yeah. kind of awareness thing, but that sort of came afterwards. It was really, how do you actually make this work on stage? How do you make this sound? How do you turn it into something yeah. that you can go out and start, you know, embracing people with? Right. When I told people I was going to chat to you today, everyone, every single one of us go, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But we did it <clears throat> a lot. <laughs> As Bon Jovi said, I've seen a million faces and I've rocked them Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Even my, uh, my, my, my semi-stepdaughter's grandma, she says, um, oh, yeah, I saw him at Lake Jindabyne Hotel. <laughs> That's right. And you go, he sweated all over me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we spent years doing that before yeah. people even kind of knew who we were. Yeah, you built up this momentum. You must have yeah. had hundreds of thousands of hours in the van. Just yeah. a thousand load ins, a thousand load outs. Just I've done them all forever. Hernias, yeah. sore backs from lifting yeah. PA. Putting the posters up, you know, doing the posters for your own shows. I've done all that, mate. Look yeah. at these. That's no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much. No, I know it is. I had to get out of the band. I was done. <laughs> you kept going. But uh, you, you built up this momentum, this momentum, not only as a, as a, a just a, a powerhouse live unit, you know, like, again, the word of mouth. You've got to go see this band. Yeah. You'll never forget it. Like, can you sing a song? I can't remember what songs they were, but you've got to go. Yeah. You've just got to go. And, and, like, that's the thing that would have communicated gig to gig in those days and brought the audiences back every time you visited a town. And that kind of came to a head and it all paid off. You just exploded. It did, but it, <clears throat> but it wasn't something we expected. Yeah. You know, because when you're in the van or when you're on the stage and when you're doing it night after night, I mean, we were just basically holding ourselves together with bits of string and gaffer tape and staminate, you know. And I think every day was a, a case of recovering from the night before. I'd spend all the next day getting over what I'd just done. And I think, man, I'm just going to lift myself up. And by the time 10 o'clock comes, I think I can do it. Yes. <laughs> and then from like 2 a.m. till, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd just be pulling yourself back up by your bootstraps. So it really was, I think, uh, obviously we started to make records and there was an audience there for us and we weren't really aiming for the charts or anything of that sort and we were just finding our niche. And really when we went to London for the second time and recorded with Nick Launay and figured out how to use a recording studio, yeah. that we started to see the thing lift a bit. They're a band that really did do the 10,000 hours, just honing their craft, working hard, getting better and better and better. Midnight Oil were very clear about who they wanted to be from the start and they've been authentic ever since. And what Midnight Oil do brilliantly, as I mentioned before, they create protest songs that you could dance to and that hadn't really been done before. I think the key thing about the band is that whatever we sang about was meshed into the sound that we wanted to make as musicians. So the music always comes first. It has to. There's no other way of doing it. And at that point, and that's a nice loud siren over my right-hand shoulder, but it doesn't matter. And at that point, if you're seeing things and you want to talk about them, then do it naturally, you know. Don't force it. Don't try and write a speech, but just see whether you can craft songs. And, of course, Rob Hurst, Jim Magini, really good songwriters. And then take that and then just go back out and do what you've done before. You're troubadours, you know, really. It's not a conveyor belt, but it is the road. And go out and play it to people. And the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more you develop a relationship with an audience, we come back for more, and you're not relying on the industry 
and whether your songs are successful in other places to survive. So you have your own alternative source of income, which is your fans, mm. and they keep you alive and they give you the freedom to say and do what you want to do, and that is a, that's a fantastic heritage for a band to have. And I think that the next thing that happens is that you go and hang out with people, you go and do stuff with people who are working in politics or who maybe are organising a demo or who want to save the whales, and then you amplify your reach at that point and you're going to play a show for them or maybe work with them as I did later on yeah. in other capacities. And it's kind of like a step-by-step unfolding process, not always conscious and not always deliberate even. Mm. It's just it's more like the creative act becomes political because politics is in everything as well. A friend of mine who's been on this show, Ben Richardson, he's now the, he's now the general manager of Viacom. Australia, New Zealand, like runs MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, da, da, da. He told, he, he came on the show, he talked about seeing Midnight Oil at the Capitol Theatre uh, here in Sydney. Oh, yeah. And he said, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like, he, he, he took the bus down from Narrabee. Yeah, exactly. He's like he's 18 or 17 or something. Yeah, drank a couple of KBs, the yeah. Nick from Dad's fridge on the bus on the way down. Yeah. And just, he said, I remember just going absolutely mental yeah. in, this, in this room. And the energy was intense, intense, and then a song stopped. Says, and then Peter started talking about nuclear disarmament, and I turned around, and there's all these people that just look like, like stunned mullets. <laughs> what is he on about? No, no, exactly. And you know, here's the thing, and I still feel exactly the same way about this. Any individual has got their own groundings, knowledge, understandings, values, perceptions, beliefs, whatever, and they will take music in any number of ways, including words. They don't have to understand, believe, agree with what you say. In fact, a lot of people now in my life agree and disagree with a lot of what I've done. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I like you. Sometimes they still do. And I think when you offer something up to an audience, you, you give it to them. It's, it's your gift, but you lose your proprietary rights over it. You can't say people have got to take this in a certain way because they may not, and that's fine. And a lot of those young guys I now meet, in positions like the fellow that you're mentioning who have got families <clears throat> and businesses and, you know, they're thoughtful people now, they're not kids, <clears throat> excuse me. And I say, you know, I thought about that 20 years later and, yeah, I think I sort of get, I get what you were talking about. Well, alternatively, they don't. That's fine. You say that's fine, but surely at the time you were a little frustrated that... No. No, really? Absolutely not. No, I... I I think this is a really important thing to explain how I see the world and how I act. Um, I'm not a utopian. I don't believe in the perfect world. I believe we've got to keep on striving for a better world. And I know that people will always respond to whatever they see or hear or what's in front of them in their own way. And my job isn't to project my expectations onto people, even though they'll project their expectations onto me. My job is to do whatever I can do as well as I can, as authentically as I can, as strongly as I can, and then wherever it's meant to go, it'll go. And I never lose a moment's sleep about it. The one thing I used to draw the line at in audiences was guys, was violence and aggression in the crowd, particularly as we didn't have a lot of women coming to our shows in the early days. And there'd be a lot of crazy 18, 19, 21 year old guys, muscly guys, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we spent, I spent a lot of time working that through with our audiences and with security people. And we got there on that, you know, because I don't believe in violence. So I don't think it's the way of, you know, I think you've got to be respectful of other people. It's pretty basic stuff, really. But when it comes to talking about nuclear disarmament, I'm still talking about it. 
you know, and uh, I'll still be involved in it until we get the job done. And maybe someone who heard that song and was standing there as a kid in the Capitol Theatre 25 years ago might go, yeah, I might get on this now, but someone else may not. Peter's optimism and grit is something to be admired. It's incredible to sit face to face. And it's wild when I think about how close we were across the table in the cafe so we could hear each other, you know, now, post mid-COVID, wherever we are, in between variants, you couldn't imagine ever being in the <laughs> in the firing line of someone else's aerosols that close. Yet that's where we were. We were like face to face. I could feel his breath on my face when he said the letter P, you know. It was amazing, to be honest. He never gives up as well. He never, ever stops. We're going to hear about why Peter made the decision to extend his experience from just music and activism and move into politics. We're going to get into that right after these ads. But you may hear an ad here. You may not hear an ad. If you do, thank you. You're helping us make this show. If not, we're right back. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Now, there's something that I've struggled with more often a while back and still like on Saturday night, Friday night, actually, I had, had a, I struggled. I had a conversation with someone who was a bit sceptical talking about climate change and global warming. And something that I do struggle with that is engaging with people who have different views to my own and also people who just deny facts and deny science. And I'm a lot better at it these days. But at the, when I spoke with Peter in 2015, you'll know where I was in my head at the time. I was still struggling quite a bit. I asked Peter, how does he keep his optimism and how did he interact with climate deniers? I actually went into the parliament for that issue. Yeah, right. Uh, the one thing that really motivated me to, to say yes when I was approached that time was I hated what Howard, our prime minister, was saying and doing. And I was fearful that if we didn't get going on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, we were going to develop this furnace world, you know, for ourselves and for our kids. And what I've had to learn over time is that it is no good to hate another person because of their views. And sometimes you can't change the way people think because there's no rational logic to it. It comes out of a different place altogether. All you've got to do is try and get into government and change it. And we did. <laughs> but now, you know, you look at what, what's, what's happened since and the way that the government after the, the parliament that you sat in has, has behaved yeah. and the things that they've repealed and, and the... That's painful. The cataclysmic lies that... Yeah, that's painful and not even, This is not even hyperbole. Like, I'm, no, no. This is absolute no, no. truth. It's shocking, yeah. I mean, I sat there... Well, I used to say to Abbott, you know, across the thing, when he, when he said that, um, you know, Gladstone towns were going to get wiped off the map, map, 
I, I didn't used to shout at people in the parliament and be aggressive. And there were lots of reasons for that. One is that I knew that as soon as I arced up in the parliament, all the snappers, all the gallery, all the photographers would grab me, take that shot, and then immediately compare it to a Midnight Oil performance. Got it. You know, straight away. And the two things were separate. I loved the oils, respected them, and I wasn't going to have that line drawn between the two. Second thing is that I don't like shouting at people in a forum when you're meant to be talking about how you're going to fix it. You may have differences of opinion about it. Yes. But I used to say to Abbott and others, you are wrong. This is immoral. I just say it. I wouldn't shout it. And with a detached view of human history, maintain some faith that even if we were going to go one step forward and two steps back, at some later point, we'd go two steps forward and only one back. And Abbott's period was two years of unbelievably narrow, black, heading backwards into time with such a lack of regard for the planet and for people's prospects that it was painful to watch. But the scheme that we put in place, a version of that scheme, will survive. They'll go to this big international meeting that's going to happen in Paris this year, in December. They'll be there for, what, nearly two weeks. Uh, all the big countries will be there. They'll get pushed and pressured and, I hope, strongly listen to their citizens and we'll get on with it. You know, history's not a smooth path. You know, the big steps don't happen easily. Sometimes there's little steps and sometimes you, you get pushed off by the other side. You've got to get back up on your feet, push them off and then get on with it. This does give me some, some respite. I won't. I hope. I, I, I hope. Will, Peter, I've got to, I've got to be honest, because when it all really dawned on me, when it really, like I've been thinking about, and it was even, you know, watching Midnight Oil at a Greenpeace conference in 94, I think it was. I remember in 87 when I, the National Geographic article first came Absolutely. out. Absolutely. I just went, holy shit. Yeah. I'm like a kid. Yeah. And there's going to be nothing for me when yeah. I'm a parent's Absolutely. Age. And so my whole life, this thing was kind of, you know, getting scarier and scarier and scarier. And then one day I, I was living in America at the time and I looked at the New York Times and on the front page they had, they put it there every, that goes, oh, by the way, this month is the 364th consecutive warmer month than the last. Yeah. Just putting it out there. Yeah, just getting just it out there. Just going to put it out there on the front page. Yeah, no, so, you know, yeah, no. And it just, everything just crashed down around me. Yeah. You know. And you know what? I think a lot of people pull the shutters down, you know, and I think that's, it's a terrible thing and you've got to find some inner reserves. You've got to work with other people. And by the way, I'm not downplaying how incredibly urgent it is for us now to get our act together on this because I came into the parliament for this and when I was ACF president, we had an article in our, like, Nature magazine in 1968 talking about this. And I've been there. I've seen it, you know. Uh, so we've got to push very hard. Yeah. And it's one of those humanity challenge moments. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think it's finding the paths of activation that you need to, which suit where you are in your life, whatever you're doing professionally, wherever you live, whatever your hang is, finding those activation moments and you don't stop, you know. So I've never stopped working on this stuff, I never will, until the job is done. And if it's not done by me, it'll be done by somebody else. That's fine. Six years later, he's still going strong. He's still fighting global warming, as we all should be. We probably all are in our own way, and uh, we all will do for the rest of our lives. Midnight Oil is still performing. They say their final ever tour ever is their 2022 tour. But, you know, we've all seen what John Farnham did, guys. Come on, let's be honest. (laughs) I hope it's not their last tour, but if it is, you better go check them out. Because if you've never seen Midnight Oil Live, man, it is 
unbelievable. Peter Garrett is still on Twitter. You can find him there, P Garrett. Thanks heaps for being a part of the show. Thanks to Andy Ma, my audio producer, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer, Bree Steele, who researched and produced this episode, and Toe Hider on the music. If you need me, super easy. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'm back on Friday for a quick chat. And um, until then, if you could let someone know about this show, you know, send this to the climate-denying person in your life who you're going to see at Christmas time. But they like midnight oil. And um, that might soften them up for the chat you end up having when you do finally get home for the holidays. All right, have a cracking day. I'll see you on Friday. Sleep well and dream of beautiful things. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.